Hello, beautiful beings. Welcome to the third episode of Grounded Radio, formerly known as the Grounded Podcast, where we share your wellness, art, and lifestyle stories to connect and inspire. I'm your host, Bianca Yuzon Henares, coming at you from Yellow Room Studios in Pasig, Metro Manila. If you haven't yet, please get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at GroundedPH. But for now, I'd like to tell you guys a little backstory on our guest and how we met her, well, how Karina and I met her from the team. Our lovely guest today has had the Grounded crew over at her wonderful home a few weeks ago. And let me tell you, this place is a total sanctuary in the midst of the busy, bustling city. It was a warm Manila afternoon, and she offered us the most delicious fruit and yogurt, along with some refreshing lemongrass iced tea to keep us cool. She made us feel at home and literally let us put up our feet on her plush couch, shared with us many stories and lots of nuggets of wisdom. We listened, laughed, and even got a little bit weeby, no shame in that. Her voice, her presence, the whole experience was absolutely cathartic. And we are so grateful for her hospitality and fortunate to have her on the podcast today. So without further ado, I am happy to introduce you to artist, healer, mother, photographer, teacher, multifaceted, glowy lady, Denise Weldon-Bignana. Good morning, Denise. How are you? Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Good morning, Bianca. I was very touched by your introduction, and I was more touched that the time we had together was so poignantly remembered and brought back with such beauty. A little bit about myself. I am um, I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a sister, a daughter, a friend. I happen to love photography, meditation. I'm interested in the healing arts. And I'm also interested in what connects humanity from a spiritual perspective. I'm not talking religious perspective. I'm talking that innate spirituality that exists in all religion, but it's through religion that we've found our comfort zones in this lifetime. What interests me is how we can bring more light and more love into the world, and by doing it day by day, step by step, by starting with ourselves. Because when we invest in ourselves, that means we care about who we are and what we are. And when we become known to ourselves, then we become accountable for our actions and our passions in this lifetime. And then we can have a more purpose-driven life in the sense that we get up in the morning and we're zinging or we're chill and we're welcoming grace that's going to open new doors, conversations, opportunities. Yes, and we want to be zinging and we want to have that self-love. But let's start with your journey as a photographer. You discovered photography in a ninth grade elective class, if I'm not mistaken. How did this passion for capturing things through your lens become a profession? Well, the opportunity came up in Bangkok, where I was a student at the International School. And the start of ninth grade, and my parents said, so what is your elective? I said, I want to study photography. The little back history to ninth grade was that mm -hmm. Actually, when I was a young girl coming to visit my grandparents here in Manila, my one of my aunts bought me a camera from Makati Supermarket. It was a little plastic gadget. It took 120 film, I believe, at that time. 
And I think that's what may have sparked it. But there's a little history that goes back further that my dad and mom said that I actually borrowed their film camera when I was like five or six and I broke it. So, <laughs> so every, you got to start somewhere. Um, no, not with permission. <laughs> which, yeah, so which, which leads me to the point that you must always ask permission or you get into trouble. But anyway, fast forward to ninth grade. It was a very special moment because there was a sacredness to buying the camera because it was not a toy. It was now um, a tool that was going to perhaps open my eyes up to something new that I had no awareness or understanding of. But what it gave me was a lovely perspective by being behind the lens to watch what was appearing in front of me. So I spent a lot of time going to the markets, walking the streets in Thailand as a young girl, and capturing and taking images. And I really appreciate that moment of pulling back and looking and not having to engage, but to watch. And... Um, Interestingly enough, that has brought me to where I am today. That's what I do in my day-to-day, -day, sometimes behind the camera, sometimes, and actually for the most part, not behind the camera because that's the practice that you bring to your day, that you're fully present and you're observing and you're watching yourself as well as the others that interact with you. And establishing a healthy understanding of what is yours and what is theirs. That's beautiful. I love that backstory. Anything in particular that drew you to want to shoot in black and white? Black and white was the modality of choice at that time because the class was a black and white photography class. What was great about it was that when you start with black and white, you see with a different kind of clarity. Black and white has no color. So you your eye develops with that understanding that what you're seeing is really not color, but it's black and white, the darks and the lights, the shadows and the bright accents of um, illumination that happen. So I really appreciate the fact that I started with that kind of foundation because it gives a different kind of clarity. I do shoot color as well, oh, okay. um, but I love black and white in a very different different way. And also because that's how photography began. It began in that way. And if you look back in history, there are so many wonderful images that have been captured over time right. that are all in black and white and they're historical or they're documentative or they're family portraits or they're vignettes. But I just love that mystical aspect that black and white brings. That's so interesting. And I noticed that black and white has a very timeless feel to it. Well, on that point, actually, Bianca, the other aspect of black and white is it is the reflection of life and its duality too stripped of everything else, right? What you see is what you see. Um, and what you don't see is the opposite of what you see. So there's always that dance and that play. That's so beautiful, but I need a minute to absorb that. <laughs> right, is it like, does chiaroscuro come into play, like the play of light and shadows? 
Well, photography is always about chiaroscuro. It's a dance between the dark and the light. And if you look at it metaphorically, it's also the dance that we play in our everyday, right? We have a choice to come from a place of light or a choice to come from a place of sadness or darkness. Mm -hmm. the, the option, the choice is there. Um, and sometimes for it can be tough, right? It can be tough for everybody, irregardless of your age, when you start to understand that life is really about that dance of chiascuro. Mm. Yes, and on a side note, would you say we need both? We need both because then we wouldn't know one without the other. Oh my gosh, yes, that's so true. Now, Christine L. De Leon of the Philippine Star has likened your photographs to, and I quote her, visual pauses, drawing us to things that are minute and overlooked, drops of water on glass, objects suspended in melting ice. Through their lens, the world is either still or gradually unfolding. In reference to your recent art fair showcase with Tom Epperson, could you please tell us about this show and what inspired you? The opportunity came up after the fact that I was actually percolating with some imagery. First, I'd like to just um, put, a, put it out there that I'm very grateful to Pristine de Leon's very sensitive ability to weave words together. She's an excellent writer, and she's also such an intuitive young woman. So to read Pristine de Leon's words really made me feel, wow, this young lady gets it. So going back to your question, what inspired me was the opportunity to show some ideas that I've had percolating in the last year or so. The um, images that, I, that were shown were things that I found beautiful in their life form, and I may have found them in markets or while walking in the forest or while um, just observing beautiful things around me and then seeing how they progress over time. And for me, my work is always chronological. It's about where I am at this moment in time. Sometimes we have reoccurring themes, but maybe those themes are part of our life lesson. You know, writers have themes. Photographers, filmmakers, um, singers have themes in their lives because yes. they're capturing what's happening to them at that moment. And in my work, it's always been about chronology, yet there's always been a constant reference to honoring nature in some way or form, whether it's through people's faces and smiles, which is what I may have done more of in my youth. And as I started to become a little bit more introspective, I realized that a lot of the answers that I was searching for could be found when I made space through walks or looked at objects and appreciated them for their innate beauty, not their man made beauty, but their absolute innate beauty. With that, the collection of images in Art Fair are those beautiful things that I found along the way in the last couple of years. You know, the mundane idea of a lemon, but when you find a gorgeous looking lemon, and if you're a visual person, you just go, wow. To you, it's wow. And what you want to share is that wow with someone else, right? 
So you will find that maybe there's some images in that body of work you connect more with because there's that connection with your with your soul with your we're having a little chiaroscuro dance um you as viewer me as maker of the image right so that's what the images were all about wow that's wonderful and i'm sure a lot of them resonated like you said some more with the others and others more with some what yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, no exactly you connect with what you see you gravitate towards what resonates with you and that goes for many many things in your life you look for people um, you look for your tribe even within your family there's some members that you are more easily able to have an open-hearted conversation about and others you feel a little, little bit more guarded mm -hmm. um, and that's just part of you becoming more comfortable and they too becoming more receptive mm -hmm. and then when you find that you meet over time to a place where both it's that sweet are spot. resonating. It's yeah. that sweet spot, mm -hmm. and that's and that's what you look for in life. Is show me the sweet spots today, um, and you can actually call it in in that way, where you start your day by making pause, and then ask yourself, what is it you've got to do, or what is it you need to do, or if you've got a little free time, what is it you'd love to do, mm -hmm. and having your heart soft. And asking those questions guides you in a different way. When your heart is soft and your mind is soft and the two have this lovely dialogue going on, you find sweet spot more. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So it's like by staying open, you allow more of what's meant for you to come in. And that's funny because we're going to touch on that a bit later on in the podcast. So when we met you, you quoted the following phrases by T.S. Eliot. And I searched for the full thing because you, you kind of paraphrased it, but it really stuck with Karina, Marika, and I, which goes, what is hell? Hell is oneself. Hell is alone. The other figures in it merely projections. There is nothing to escape from and nothing to escape to. One is always alone. Could you please tell us about the importance of family, community, and how we can all stay connected despite the not unusual feeling of being alone in a sea of people, you know, especially like in a really overpopulated city like Manila. I find a lot of us still feel alone sometimes. Now, um, what's your take on that? And well, first, I want to thank you for doing your research to get the whole quote. Yeah. Um, I believe I was remembering the heaven part of it too. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Okay. But Sorry. I appreciate. No, no. Please don't apologize. Okay. Um, I appreciate your mentioning that aspect um, of hell that T. S. Eliot speaks of because he says it so poignantly, and he lived s centuries ago, right? Not mm -hmm. so. He lived a long time ago. Yes, but it still applies. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that's the thing when when poets and writers and singers take time to reflect, they're talking about things that are very real to them and not just real to them. They are real to all of us. And your point about feeling quite alone in a busy place like Manila, you can feel quite alone in a busy place like New York, Boston, Madrid, Paris, depending on your state of mind. Mm. So, you know, 
the religions like to to define heaven and hell as two very disparate places that we eventually go to. Mm-hmm. But in as much as we can create heaven on earth, we can create hell on earth. We can bring about peace or we can bring about chaos. The choice is that which makes us have a different kind of day. And I it may sound like I'm being trite and negating, you know, real challenges people are going through when depression brings them to rock bottom. Because I don't know enough about that. But I do know that we all do hit our pockets. And when we can talk about those, we bring light. And then the dark doesn't feel so dark because you've been able to bring a little light by talking about it and not keeping alone about it. Yes. And what is important is to remember that our being alone does not have to be a hellish experience. We could also try to make it a more heavenly experience when we start to love ourselves. Because the only real reason for our existence is to love and to heal. But it begins with us. That perspective Eliot speaks of is only because we're keeping our eyes on ourselves in a way mm-hmm. without bringing in more light. And we're playing this tape in our heads that I'm alone, life sucks, or I wonder if I have any friends or what's my destiny and all of those things. When we ask the questions differently, we can actually guide our minds to find answers. But when we become so myopic that we can't pull out of our beings, our state, that's, I believe, where we become trapped into our hellish nature. Do you know what I mean? Yes, no, that, that makes sense. So, so like, when, when we're feeling alone, I, I wish for people to just remember to pick up the phone and call a lifeline. And a lifeline can be a loving member of your family, a dear beloved friend. It could even be just a stranger's smile on the street. And those little, little random acts of kindness that they speak of in Buddhism those are the sparks. Oh, wow. Those are the sparks that start to pull us away from that. That's so great. And what you said earlier about letting the light in reminded me of this quote by Rumi. And again, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but um, Rumi said something like, the wound is the place where the light enters. enters." Yes. So beautifully shared. Thank you for sharing that. Bianca, you Thank know, you. <laughs> um, Rumi is taking off everywhere. Um, yes. It's wonderful to see, you know, the words just touch people's lives. Um, and I think they're celebrating the anniversary of Rumi at this specific time. Well, that's so cool. I just bought a book with my best friend on Rumi's poems, literally, at Fully Booked. So that's really cool to know. And now we move on. And this was a really good, but I feel very relevant topic that we discussed a few weeks ago. Speaking of staying connected with today's technology, we have 24-7 access to practically any piece of information searchable on the World Wide Web. 
there are apps and services that ensure we get things done and delivered to us without ever having to leave our homes or even our chairs. We have the avenues to stay connected to friends, family, colleagues, and strangers across the globe. And yet, despite all these instantaneous luxuries at our fingertips, we are in some cases miserable and more disconnected than ever. We've heard of alcohol, food, drug, and even sex addiction, but now we are addicted to our screens. Can you please tell us in your own words what screen addiction is and what implications you feel it has for the people of today, whether mentally, physically, or even socially? I will answer that question. I'll also tether back for a moment sure. to that T.S. Eliot quote okay. and shift it from hell to heaven. So heaven is a blissful state, and it's a, that sweet spot that you spoke of. Technology is a wonderful tool of connectivity when used well for what you need to do to get things done and also to keep tethered to the people you want to be tethered with. The flip side of it is you can also be tethered to situations or links where you're not necessarily very close to the individuals on the other end, if you will, but you start to feel FOMO. You oh my fear gosh, of missing out. We have that question, but please okay, carry okay. on. Um, but going back to um, technology has its benefits. My, my worry is the addictive aspect. And you know what? I'll share a little story with you. This is before smartphones were around. Oh. I had an assignment and I had also been given the gift of a weekend at the farm at San Benito. So I delivered my assignment to the editor of the publication and brought my computer just in case I needed to do anything if anyone called me. But I was actually on a retreat. I walked into this beautiful room in San Benito. Gorgeous garden, plants. You know, the room was just the right temperature, and it was quiet. I had given birth to our daughter, and my beloved husband, Manny, had treated me to a few days to sort of regenerate. And they were going to come in a couple of days to pick me up and spend a night with me. So I was looking forward to my time alone to meditate, to read, to write, even brought some little color pencils and oh, so coloring nice. books just to immerse in that joy of nothingness, but everythingness at the same time. My phone started to go off. It was an old Palm Pilot, and it was binging. And in the quiet of that space, without anyone else in the room, I could see my body jump and I noticed it with its nakedness that I was just reacting to every bing that my phone was creating that was a wow moment and that wasn't even a smartphone those were just text messages coming in and I was so bothered that I had become programmed and tethered and responded to my phone in that way it was really like <gasps> almost oh, instantaneously. Yeah, like. it was. It was just like, wow. And I was like, wow. That was even before 
screenagers came out as a movie, which was just in the last one or two years, I actually thought, hmm, I've got to do something extreme. I can't leave my phone out because I'm going to keep going back to it. It's kind of like Pavlov's dog theory. Right. You know, the bell goes off, the dog goes and mm -hmm. eats. Well, I was like that with my phone. So I did an extreme thing. And I said, okay, at five o'clock, I'll pick it up to check. I put it in the safe in the room and I locked it up. <laughs> did you turn it off or? I, I, um, I, I'm not sure if I turned it off because I still needed to check messages, but I let it bing in the safe. That's funny. So it, it was funny, but it was also sad at the same time because that was my first realization of some pattern of behavior and how important it is to watch our behaviors in the everyday because we can just become blind to how we're responding, which goes to um, technology and how we respond and how we feel when we're with people and even when we're without people to the things that are coming through, to what we study or what we're researching or what we hear about or what we see. And we start to feel so many things and we start to lose our connection because we're looking out. What I love is something I did this weekend. I um, took Sunday off, like in, as in turned off. Oh. I put a bunch of books on the bed and I put my phone in another part of the house and I just enjoyed reading and snoozing and being off. The interesting thing of that exercise, and I didn't intentionally do it, but I was so aware of not having anything else in my space and how a little gadget, because it's electronic yeah. and anything electronic is energetic, interferes also with your own energy field. That's, that leads me to my next question. Actually. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. I love that you're jumping ahead because you're just so in it. And so the question is, how do all these gadgets affect our auric field? I'm sure you can Google and get lots of scientific data or feedback or even people just sharing how they're feeling. Sure. You know, a, a lot of the general feeling is like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I didn't get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Things like that, right? We have to start to really become more mindful of what are we doing that's getting us to that point of tiredness. We're all going through it in some way or form. We're all learning that we've got to turn off at some point in our day. I do believe it does have an effect on our auric field. And when we all become a little bit more vocal about expressing our vibe, you know, and understanding that in us is a positive charge and a negative charge. And when we're to one or to the other, we're feeling a little off balance. And it's about finding balance in middle ground. And actually, it's about finding your earthiness, your groundedness. Yes. So, so that point that you make um, about technology is that it does interfere with us being tethered to our core and the earth. It does get in the way, I think. And which is why it's so nice when you actually meditate, you harness your energy, you ground yourself, you expand your auric field 
so that you're becoming more proactive in how you respond in your daily life rather than reactive. Not just a consumer of like all the content coming your way. And it's a barrage of content. I mean, if you were to actually create a visual image for it, it would feel like a tsunami. Oh, yes. I was just going to say like a like a waterfall, but that's more apt. <laughs> waterfall is a nice thing. Tsunami is disruptive. Right. There's so much damage that we can't even see. You know, it it's it can be damaged in the way we respond to a situation. It could um, create a chaotic response in a relationship or a conversation or even a response at work because you haven't made time to connect. You're just kind of on autopilot. You get up, you're doing, you're checking right away. You're saying, hey, um, hi world, how are you out there? And you haven't even gone into your world to connect before going out. Definitely. I, I read somewhere that when you wake up in the morning, and I know we're all guilty of this, the first thing we do is we tend to check Instagram or your social media platform of choice. But um, I read that you should do something else first, whether it's meditate or make your bed or just sit and have like your, a simple affirmation for the day. Because by doing that, you set the tone for your day and you kind of take control and say I am here I am present and then I can attend to all of you so now some just to share some side effects of screen addiction are known to include insomnia like you like you mentioned feeling tired obesity cyberbullying depression anxiety and poor social skills what advice can you give to the youth who are growing up with screens and infinite content like that tsunami at the push of a button as the norm? Like, because this generation, I, I, it's nice because our generation still played with sticks and stones and the playground and we were out in the mud and then we slowly transitioned to having video games and then those PCs and now these MacBooks. But these kids now, they've know nothing else but screens their whole lives. I'm sure they have books, but even in schools, they've traded notepads and textbooks for iPads. So what, what advice can you give? I'd like to say, go back and play. I'd like to say, pull out your coloring books and your color pencils. I'd like to ask you to put your technology away for a good part of the day and maybe make it not a part of your auric field all the time, but find a way to give your space, your body, your mind, spirit, space away from it by turning it on and off when you need to be connected, not when you think the world needs to barrage you. I think we need to teach our youth the importance of healthy boundaries um, by feeling this need to be overly connected we're doing the greatest disservice to ourselves and we're seeing it affect youth in many ways we're seeing um, phenomena called broken brain mm. aspects of our development being slowed down sometimes hindered um, the studies are just ongoing more data will come out and we don't realize that there will be repercussions for not doing things in an organic way. I have this very graphic comment that I made to my kids once. 
and I'll share it with you for the humor of it. I did not give birth to you with a gadget in your hand. Oh. And if you think about it, we think we're, we were born that way, that that has become appendaged to our limbs. But it is not who and what we're about. And we're not going to find enlightenment that way. The way to find enlightenment, if we want it, is to actually start to learn who you are, what you're about, ask the big questions, do the simple things. Go back to basics, is what I would say. Go back to having a real conversation. Go to having an, an uncomfortable conversation and know that you'll be okay either which way. You're back to Chia Scudo and yes. that dance. But go back to the basics. And to parents and adults, we also need to be examples of that because we're getting as hooked as everybody else. I think it would be nice for us to have tech fasts. That's pretty much what that Sunday was about. And I thought, wow, I felt so good. And when I got to teach my morning circle the next day, I was rejuvenated. I had something to share without having been exhausted or depleted by another day of being so tethered to the world technologically. Sounds like you were able to really recharge. And so I like that. Okay, taking note, go back to playing, maybe even just take a walk, get out there, move your body, and go back to basics. I was actually about to ask you, for advice as well for people who have jobs that are heavily dependent and are constantly, they constantly need to be online and in the know, such as people who work in the fields of PR, social media management, and marketing. But I think this applies to them as well. Like, sure, you have your day job, but at any time when you can, I think it's super important to schedule me time and that involves maybe respectfully telling the rest of the world to back off a little and go within. Well, what you're talking about is creating a healthy boundary between your work and your life. Mm -hmm. right? And your work life is also a part of who you are. But a lot of you is not work. A lot of you is just about who you are as a human being and what are you here to do. Of course, our work becomes a vehicle for that. The real, the important thing is to know that you are so valuable for yourself that you need to stay connected to that. And we start to go down a slippery slope when we don't make that connectivity, where we're always out. And, you know, maybe we're having deep conversations. Maybe there are a lot of superficial conversations. And how does that make you feel? To ask that question, did I feel good today? Did that make me feel full? Did I feel drained? Do I feel empty? And you will be your own teacher when you ask those questions. Um, I study different modalities, and I'm fascinated by them. And one of um, the questions that I studied whilst, uh, as a Kabbalah student is, when you ask a question, you answer it with another question. And it becomes this constant unfolding of discovery. So we have to start to ask those questions when we are, are so consumed by our work. 
How do I bring balance to my day? How might I make a little me time? Could I go down to Starbucks alone, not tethered to my phone, and just enjoy that coffee? And did I put a little cream on it? Wow, what was that taste like? And a little sprinkling of sugar. Wow, that was delicious. And you just enjoy that moment fully. As you make those pockets of time, it's like creating a multitude of cappuccinos. You know, it's not just that one. But as you make more time, you've accumulated a lot of those kinds of moments. And then maybe you love it so much the next time you think, I'll bring a little journal with me. I'm going to moodle, I'm going to doodle, I'm going to dream. And then you can go back to your work. But you made some real time for you. And you never know. When you make that kind of time, that's when ideas start to percolate. And that's when dreams start to manifest. And then you see that you are in charge of creating so many beautiful things for yourself if you choose to. Or you can get sucked into doing what the world wants of you and feel very empty. That sounds that sounds so dreamy and delicious. And I think a lot of our listeners right now who... Who, who work hard and who go at it, who really, um, what's the word, who hustle hard, I think they probably really needed to hear that and to remember that, yes, your work is a big part of your life, like you mentioned, but it is not all of your life and it, it is definitely not all of who you are. And you have to remember to feed the parts of your soul that are just waiting for you to see the beauty in every moment. Nicely put, Bianca. Nicely put, Denise. Thank you. <laughs> and now we move on to FOMO. Author Patrick J. McGinnis coined the term FOMO, an acronym that stands for Fear of Missing Out, made popular in 2004 when it was published in the Harbus, Harvard's business school magazine. Fear of missing out refers to the apprehension that one is either not in the know or is out of touch with some social events, experiences, and interactions. This is taken from volume 29, issue four of Computers and Human Behavior. We're from arts management, so we're very strict about (laughs) plagiarism and copyright and all those things. So just making a side note, social media has become a gateway for users to be able to experience it all and get their anti-FOMO fix, as we call it, whether in real time or through curated experiences. At Grounded, we believe that there are indeed a lot of great things out there from recipes to TED Talks and free online courses. We just have to be more discerning, like what you said, make those choices, ask those questions with what we choose to consume and when. We also believe that mindfulness and staying present are great tools to help calm and address this fear of missing out. Could you please share with us some of the guidance you've imparted to your own children or the students you've taught before? Because you mentioned you've done several classes and workshops on how to stay present and fight the FOMO and anxiety and stress that come along with like, oh, mom, I need to know what's happening at uh, Angelica's party right now or Jennifer's bachelorette. Like, I just need to know. So what do you what do you tell them? Well, my kids are still 20 and below. Um, Sometimes they hear me, to be honest, and sometimes they don't. They know better. 
But as a parent, sometimes you know a little bit more. You can see how that creates this quiet stress and anxiety that everyone's out doing something when you're at home. Uh, or even as an adult, that everyone else was at that party, but where were you? We have to start getting comfortable with just being comfortable with ourselves and wanting to have real connections in real time. FOMO is a phenomena that is actually creating so much sadness for people. I mean, if you've got to know, go ahead and know, but ask <laughs> But please don't feel bad for it. You know, when in the olden days, if you weren't invited to a party, you only found out about it a couple of days later or, you know, at school or something like that. But now, you know, right away and you go, (laughs) (laughs) the real question is, how about this? You know, that famous question that goes, will this matter five years from now? Yeah. You know, so putting it into context, like, okay, so I wasn't invited, or so everyone else went off and forgot about, whoa, lonesome me, whatever it is. Will it matter five years from now? I have a funny quote. Sorry. I have go, a funny go, quote please. from, I'm not sure if his name is Dr. Chow or Mr. Chan from The Hangover. <laughs> Mr. Chan, is it Mr. Chan? Mr. Chow. Well, he's this really funny guy. And he goes, like, at the end of every thing that happens let's say they get into a car crash or a fight scene or something crazy he'll go but did you die (laughs) and you didn't so in the same way it's will this really matter five years from now and will it kill you if you don't know what her outfit of the day (laughs) was so yes yeah and then someone else had a uh, has another quote that says you know if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger You know, what you want to do is start to develop that sort of inner resilience that it doesn't really matter. You know, what's in a party, right? Chances are most everyone's like in a state of intoxication and the recollection of the party, you know, where the recollection comes from. It's not memory. It's a photo because you're too blurred to remember actually. You're like, what happened? Right. Yeah. I'd rather remember my Friday night, to be honest. And not that I don't go out, but a party to me these days is like what you had on Sunday. A cup of tea, a good book, and my cat, Sunny Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how do you balance motherhood and the demands of work and all these challenges? Basically, how do you, how do you manage your time? Because you, we feel like you do so much. And like, how do, how are you able to be a mom, even from overseas and a wife and, you know, be part of the community and an artist? Like, do you have, do you have a to-do list? How do you? I'm a little fluid, to be honest. Um, I kind of wish I was more structured, but I'm learning as I get older that that's the way I am. And I just, I need to accept that I flow in a different way. I can get a lot of things done, but I like also, I like the intensity of getting things done, but I also like the spaces in between Mm. of noticing the ebbs and the flows. I've noticed in the last couple of weeks that there's this got to do thing, but there's another flow that keeps changing it. Someone might get sick, so that meeting can't push through. And instead of going, oh, 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 
just kind of go, okay, what's next? And then the what's next brings about a lovely opportunity that pops out of nowhere. And that's the spontaneity of life. And I think we want a little bit more of that. We want to see a little bit of the magic in our lives. And how do I juggle things? I do them one step at a time. Before, when I was a younger mother, I felt like a whirling dervish. <laughs> now, if anyone knows what a whirling dervish is, yeah. they are they follow the Sufi tradition and they whirl in bliss to music. But I was whirling in to-dos. Got to do this, got to do that, got to run the kids to that, have to do this, have to show up. And, and um, to be honest, life becomes a blur when it's that way. So the good thing about life is that life has your back and doesn't want you to be in whirling dervish mode. At some point, it makes you pull the brakes on, fall on your face, break a leg. It doesn't matter. When you start to notice these big halts in your life, that's when life is saying, hi, I'm here. Want to do things differently because this is definitely not working. And that's the beauty of it. When you pay attention, you can see there's this wonderful grace in your life that paces things that are perfect for you. Instead of you racing, you want to do a pacing. That's Ooh. my new thing. You're rhyming again. <laughs> We're going to bring up Maybe I'll be a rapper. Thing. You could be. You had another beautiful um, random rhyme, which we will bring up again later, but... You described yourself as a student of the self, having studied and still learning about different religions, philosophies, and ideologies. What does it mean to be a student of the self? And what are some of the favorite lessons you've picked up over the years? Gosh, that's kind of tough, Bianca, because there's so many wonderful nuggets out there. Okay. Top of your head. Like Top what of my comes head. To mind? Most recent one is grow where you are planted. That means show up. Next one I love is to see God in one another. Oh. The other thing I love is to know thyself, to be true to thyself. I think that's a Shakespeare quote, be true to thyself. Um, another one that my grandfather taught me was my cup runneth over. So you want to fill your cup as much as you can, or if your cup's halfway, to really see it more full than anything else. Let's see, what other nuggets do I love? I think that's a pretty good place to start. That was a lot. And wow, from all over too. Ooh, this is a good one. Do you believe science is finally catching up with spirituality and in what ways? That particular line actually has been expressed from a Kabbalah teacher um, along the way. Science is finally catching up with spirituality. If you look in many of the books of wisdom, there's so much glean there that wasn't even recorded in an MRI or you know, a, a new modalities of getting data. But yes, I do believe, and it is really a wonderful time to be alive to actually see that happening. Um, yeah, it, it makes me happy to see science catching up. And it um, allows other mind frames, let's say you're a little bit more skeptical or 
hesitant to believe everything you read, but when you actually see a data image of the brain and how things are lighting up and that you can actually see that when people use lovely positive words, it lights up the brain in a different way. And they need to see those things to really believe those things. But let's say you closed your eyes. Let's say none of this technology was around to support what we think we need to know with our mind. These facts. Right? Yes. Let's say you closed your eyes and we just talked and used very kind, loving language with one another. We would both feel so much better. In like manner, if you and I started to curse at each other, we'd feel horrible. And it wouldn't take much time. It could just be a flash. It says energy is so powerful that we don't really need the science to tell us because we feel it in our everyday. And I think if we become more attuned to that in us, then we'll, we'll see that we can be in control of what we can control. And then we leave that which we can't to the bigger picture, to the divine, to the higher power, to mother, father, God. What call, call that Godhead, whatever name you wish to call it, but don't negate it. Because did you make that sun go up today? And did you make that moon go down? Let's not kid ourselves. There is something so much greater in all of this. There really, really is. During our little merienda with you, you mentioned that our minds are wired to look for what we ask. So we must focus on asking the positive questions and to stop asking for specifics, but to ask for liberation. One example you mentioned was asking, God, what would you have me do today? Could you please describe for us how this question and answer might unfold for you on a regular Monday or Tuesday or when faced with a problem? You mentioned a little earlier about how you start your day. There's a great line that how you start your, how you start your day is how you set your day. Ah. Now, if you were to look at that, let's say from a neuroscience perspective, and I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm just fascinated with what is coming out. But that language actually can be transferred to our physical brain. You set an intention and your attention follows. You've given the rabbit a carrot to munch on. And that is how we ought to look at ourselves every day, is that we have possibility every single day. What are the possibilities you want to have? And we're not talking always about, okay, I signed a zillion dollar deal. Mm -hmm. But they could even just be the small things in life. I love the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh, and I also like Pema Chodron. They are both Buddhist monks. One is a male and the other is a female. And they're both past 80, but they have left us with amazing nuggets of wisdom in the books that they share. And you can catch them on a TED Talk or on a YouTube video. I mean, that kind of time on technology is content. That 
that changes the way you spent your morning. You come out going, okay, I want to apply something I learned today. But looking at something else sometimes just leaves you feeling kind of dry and empty. So asking yourself each day, you know, show me the magic. The magic might be in just many smiles as you walk through a mall. You know, a guard who says hello or opens a door and you paid attention. You didn't just walk by and ignore a person. We have to see God in each other more in the smile, the heart, the light, the kindness. When we do that more, we elevate ourselves and we elevate those around us. There's a nice vibe that happens. And then you look for that vibe. Wouldn't that be a better addiction to have? That you'd actually lifted up someone that day? Definitely. And this is it. On the spot, you came up with the following lovely little piece of poetry. You said, when our egos let go, then God can flow. Oh. (laughs) Do you remember that? (laughs) Kind of. I think you wrote it down. We were like, ooh, that's cute. Could you take us back to what was going on in your mind at that time? What do you mean by God can flow? I use the word God more freely in the Philippines because it's something we're all comfortable with, right? Um, But sometimes God is not a word that everyone is comfortable with. Right. Um, And we have to be sensitive that our view is not the only view in life. So finding other ways to explain that flow. Flow is a form of God. God is in a stream making the water flow. Um, the sun going up, those are all forms of something great and grand um, that is making life flow in a way that has nothing to do with you. So when I made up that poem, and thank you for remembering it, um, it's really just a, a reminder how our minds can be our friends or our worst enemy. And when we give in to that worst enemy part, that's when we become stuck. That's when we go back to that idea earlier of T.S. Eliot. That's where life becomes hellish. But when we invite flow, and let's say we're stuck. Don't we all get stuck? And when we're stuck, there's no flow. When we invite flow, just that desire for flow to come to you in a positive way, because when you flow, you are obliged to share that flow. Because if you don't, guess what happens? You, you get, get stuck. stuck again. Yeah. Oh, so that's right. You, you've, we've got to get ourselves out of the way so that life can flow through us in a way that we are sharing the gifts that were planted in our soul from day one. They're in there. Part of the journey is digging deep. You can't do it easily. Sometimes people say, I, I've, I've noticed online now, quick fix meditation, getting there, enlightenment in a flash. And maybe people have indeed found ways to make it easier. For example, I like to make meditation as easy as possible when I teach it. Because thinking about it, people are like, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I can't do it. But what if I told you you do just a minute a day? You can do a minute. Definitely. Right? You could do 30 seconds. I don't care if you do 30 seconds because... 30 seconds is better than zero. And the, the amazing thing about when you make time and space, then life flows 
through you. But when you're congested, you're tight, you're reactive, things just get a little more chaotic and difficult. That's a really beautiful way of saying it. And thank you for that little poem. <laughs> you also mentioned that life is temporal and that we must do things with longer lasting memory or impact. So does this mean, aside from really choosing what you do or be more mindful? Because sometimes we can't, don't get to choose what we do in our day, but we choose how to react to certain things. Let's say you're stuck in traffic. I don't think that's by choice, but how can, can you, you do? Yeah, how can you turn that around? Well, the great thing about traffic is you can ask yourself, what can I do while I'm stuck in traffic? And I'm sure you can do many things. You could listen to music. Or a you, podcast. Or a podcast. <laughs> or grounded. Yeah. <laughs> you could you could just um, choose to meditate. You could choose to close your eyes and rest. You could choose to turn off rather than be switched on. Mm. Let's say you're stuck in traffic and you're on the MRT. Rather than just kind of having your finger flip through your screen, what if you just paid attention to that commute? What is that like? You can change it up. Every commute doesn't have to be the same. That changing it up is actually uh, a nugget so then you don't get into the commute drone you could just say you know I'm going to read a book today and it's not going to be on my iPad I'm actually going to flip the pages even though I'm cramped and crunched between people I'm just going to get into my book and that's okay but you're you're aware, you're aware of that you're reading the paper's turning over there's a little bit of a crunch when it turns yeah. over you know the train hurls through the city and then it shrieks to a halt and and what is that you're aware of it all you know that awareness is is so beautiful even though you think oh gosh i'm stuck in traffic i'm in a i'm commuting again you could do your commute differently you don't have to be the victim of every situation you're in you can be accountable and make that time different for yourself That awareness breaks us from the pattern of seeming monotony because it's not, you think you're on the same commute every day, but you're not. There's always something different to notice, whether it's even, I like to people watch sometimes. And I mean, if you do it in a not creepy way, I guess, yeah. especially for writers, you know, you could take notes for characters and all these interesting things you can do. your phone well and and the point that you're making is that you're also getting data for what you could use for something else ahead of you you know you're doing your R&D mm. in a in a very easeful way I I love trains bus rides cab rides subway rides tram rides in Hong Kong those are super special because you're above ground and you're going through neighborhoods and you're watching people move and eat and shop and you know that's the witness state you know so making yourself appreciate those things that seem monotonous or or mundane. eating a lot of your time or mm -hmm. mundane as you say you, you why don't you change it up 
Because you can. And Absolutely. we're here to remind you that you guys, we all have that switch within us. You also mentioned you um, you recommended for us to check out Jay Shetty, and I did. Uh, I listened to the podcast. It was a video podcast with him and his wife talking about how they met and their adventures and life lessons they learned together in their relationship. And it's so great. Amazing people. They're like the male and female versions of each other. And you said you were reading The Shift by Dr. Wayne Dyer and Start With Why. Do you have any other book or reading or podcast recommendations for our readers and uh, for our listeners? <laughs> Gosh, you know, there's so many delicious books out there and everybody's got their preferred genre. Mine is really um, on things that are... Um, Wellness? Th yeah, they're, the things that interest me are books on wellness, self-help, psychology, clearing, um, meditation. What else? One of my new books on my shelf is The Little Book of Ikigai, which is a Japanese book on finding one's life purpose. I just bought that. Isn't it cute? <laughs> it oh. is. And uh, what else? I have lots. I have... I just got the original self by thomas moore which is a jungian look at things and you said um when things fall apart oh uh, that's pema chodron hard advice for difficult times yeah yeah that's a really interesting title and that leads me to my next question how do you get back up when things fall apart you know when you fall down as we all do i acknowledge it I breathe in it, and I breathe out it, and I claim it, and I'm not in denial that that's how I feel. And then I will take a day off, and I'll go do something that makes me happy. It could be going to the park. It could be indulging with essential oils. It could be a massage. It could be anything sort that pampers me and doesn't take long to get back up it will be different for everybody but I think one of the keys I notice in getting back up is loving yourself enough to know that this too shall come to pass and the person I am today is not the person I'm going to be tomorrow or was the person that started out the week because I'm in a constant flux and change. And when we accept ourselves for who we are and we refrain from comparing ourselves, then we honor the life that we have been given, which is a gift. And they say that the gift is about being in the present. And there's always that cute parody about the, the gift, right? It's the present. Yeah. But that's what it is. It's not to stay too long in feeling anything other than there's an upside to this. As you said earlier, it's about that switch, mm -hmm. getting grounded and getting real, and then reaching out and talking about it to somebody. You don't have to be Go in your it alone. Yeah, you don't have to. You know, it's so nice when someone says, I get what you're going through, and they're quiet after that. You just feel that someone understands you. That's enough. 
That's so true. And that's like what you mentioned earlier about feeling alone. You don't necessarily have to because you aren't. I wrote um, I wrote a song when I was in high school. It was called We Wolf Girl. And there's a part in the chorus that goes, we live by moon and great beyond, never alone. And I don't know, I kind of just remembered it right now after beautiful. what you said. So beautiful, Bianca. Thank you. I, and that actually, just to touch on that part, I think it's really important for young women to, to share songs as you do, um, to remind us of our own innate strength. We are wired differently from men. And we... We bring an alchemy to being together, and it's really important to honor what each of us has, what our strengths are, and not to focus on our weaknesses, because we want actually to compound that strength so that we can uplift ourselves into humanity in another way. We don't have time for anything else. One um, lecture I went to, I remember when I was in my 20s, mid-twenties, I was working at J. Walter Thompson as a copywriter, um, avoiding being a photographer because I thought, I can't do that. Oh, really? So I, I wrote for a while. And, but I was always attending talks, taking courses, Reiki, life dynamics, anything. There was this curiosity. And I remember going to a talk that was hosted by Kodak, the, the film company. And it was at the Academy of Performing Arts in Hong Kong, which was right next to J. Walter Thompson's office. So I was so kileg, because after work, I was going to have an interesting talk. And I thought I was going to listen to this, ge this gentleman who was from the UK, who happened to be one of the leading wedding photographers, um, you know, talk technologically and show us his photographic work. So, yeah, so I was looking at it, and it was fine. But what really struck home was what he said and that was my take home you do not have the luxury of a negative thought that was really all I needed from that evening so now when I go to talks I just look for the short and simple take away because that's all I'm looking for this very wise friend of mine once said she has lots of books and I said don't you feel guilty? You buy these books and you don't read them? She goes, no, you know what I've learned? What I've learned now is maybe there's just one line in that book that I need to read. <laughs> so now when I open the book, I go, what is it I need to see? I find it, I pass it forward. I got what I needed. So wow. keeping it simple is a nice way of moving through life. Find phrases that lift your spirit. Find people that empower you. Listen to music that raises your vibration. Keep keep going. Everyone's going to have a glitchy moment. Everyone's going to stumble and fall. But you can pull up and you can keep going. I think in this podcast alone, a lot of our listeners will have found many of those little nuggets or phrases of things that are golden from what you said. So thank you so much. And... I suppose what you said kind of ties in with our last two questions. The last question, actually, which is you mentioned that grounded changes over time because we are in constant flux and flow. Sometimes you have your feet on the ground, 
but you don't feel grounded. Could you please tell us what being grounded is to you and why it's important to stay grounded and sometimes ungrounded? The fun thing about being ungrounded is you can get into a different flow. You, you're kind of seeing, I wonder where this is going to take me. There's spontaneity and it's, it's got its own fruit to share with you. The fun thing about being grounded is to know when and where to show up, who to be with, um, and also to know that it's time for you to pull yourself back and get quiet. You can get really frayed when you're ungrounded. You, you come back and you feel zapped from a party and you go, oh, you know, that was nice, but... But then finding a balance, because you don't want to become a hermit. Right. There are times to be a hermit, but there are also times where you have to go out of the cave and interact with the world. Because you have to be in and of the world, but you can also be in and of the inner world as well. Once you start to find that dance in yourself, your own discoveries, then you know, okay, it's time to get grounded. It's time to be a little ungrounded and untethered. And you can move with it. It becomes a flow that you feel. So the minute you start to feel a little uncertain, then it's easy. Go sit and just drop in and reconnect. And if you need more of that, then do that more and find what find out what gives you equilibrium what brings you to a state of equipoise where you're you're good even though it's noisy out there you can be really quiet inside wow thank you so much denise thank you for your time and for being with us here at grounded today and we would like to invite everyone to Grounded's workshop, A Time for Pause, to be led by Denise on April 4 at the fifth floor of Rustan's Makati. Would you like to say a few words? Drop in and pause. Come and say hello. And let's just have a little bit of time getting to know more about meditation and how that may create space in your day and um, in your own life. Thank you. Yes, we'll see you guys there. And again, we'd like to invite you to join the Grounded community and share your thoughts and stories with us on Facebook and Instagram. That's at GroundedPH when you have time and when you choose to have time online. So no pressure, but we'd love to see you there. For questions, concerns, and collaborations, you can hit us up at contact at GroundedPH.com. Thank you, lovely owls, and catch you next time on Grounded Radio living freely, authentically grounded. Mm -hmm.